0: and you can get an extra three months free. ExpressVPN.com slash film. Hello, everyone, welcome to SlashFilm Daily for Thursday, April 22nd, 2021. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news, and then we're going to be presenting an interview with the creator of a new Hulu series called Sasquatch. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm the senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by SlashFilm writer, Wai Tran Bui.
1: Hey, everyone.
0: Hi, Ishi. It's just you and me again today, for now.
1: The best... Uh, best team up
0: (laughs) yes uh so jacob is going to join us a little bit later on to present that interview that i mentioned but uh let's get into the news so um one thing we have not talked about yet uh in any sort of detail on slash film daily is the shang chi trailer which came out i want to say several
1: days ago at this point monday i remember because it dropped like at 8 a.m yeah that's right and it was i was like i'm still waking up
0: <laughs> yeah 8 a.m eastern it was like very yeah early in the morning we were sort of like yeah shaking off the cobwebs from the weekend it was like oh we're diving straight into marvelville here okay all right um so i guess there was uh there was a lot of news on on monday's episode of the show and we just didn't didn't cover it then but um okay so so all excuses aside HT, what did you think about this trailer
1: I liked it. I was um very intrigued by the wuxia inspired action sequences that were scattered throughout the trailer. Wuxia uh, is uh, by what I refer to as wuxia is the martial arts uh, subgenre of filmmaking that is um, you can see that is in films like Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon. Um, uh, hero uh, I'm I don't know why I'm blanking right now, but yes. Colorful, those are like the two
0: big yes, prime examples.
1: Colorful, balletic films such as those uh, that have this sort of high fantasy uh, approach to martial arts and were quite popular in the early 2000s. And um, Dan- Daniel Dustin I keep I keep mixing up his name. Which oh Destin yeah, I,
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: Um, he, I think, spoke about taking inspiration from Musha film. So seeing that play out in the trailer was really exciting. Uh, I was really excited to see to see Tony Lung. Uh, I've been <laughs> talking about him a lot the, on the water cooler lately. I don't know why I've, I've been like on a Tony Lung binge, but he he looks great in this trailer. Uh, we know that he's playing the Mandarin or some form of the Mandarin, like the Marvel. MCU version of the Mandarin, the true one after Ben Kingsley's uh, imposter. Although I actually am on the side of liking that twist. In I was going to ask you about
0: that. I'm sure we've talked about that on some podcasts before, but I, I couldn't remember where you stood on the uh, the Great Mandarin controversy Iron of 2013.
1: <laughs> Iron <is> good. Iron Man <laughs> three is great, actually, and the mandarin twist and that is one of the best parts all those marvel bros who are like it's not the real mandarin it's such a funny subversive way of undercutting the troubling uh stereotypes like asian stereotypes that are attached to that character since its inception so i thought that was really smart and really funny and all the people who uh uh poo poo pooed it are wrong
0: well, HT, this truly is the greatest uh, podcast team because I'm I'm definitely on the same page with you there. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I really think I'm glad, I'm even more glad now that they played it, that they played that card the way they did in 2013 because Marvel as a company was not ready at that point to handle the, you know, the cultural sensitivity and all of that kind of stuff. Like they, you know, they were still being overseen by a different regime and Kevin Feige didn't have quite as much Say in everything, and it seems like, you know, I know people have been frustrated with Marvel's representation over the years, but I think now uh it's sort of a better late than never scenario, and I'm I'm much more open to the idea of seeing, you know, Marvel. A- A sort of attempt to tackle a story like this in 2021 than I would have been in 2013. Cause I just feel like they would have bungled it back then. They just weren't prepared as a company to deal with complex stuff like that.
1: And I do, I have, I still am kind of, kind of trepidatious over whether they can, uh, Appropriately tackle Asian representation, uh, specifically Chinese representation in Shang-Chi. Um, this is uh, their first Asian superhero, uh, played by Samuel Lu, who is uh, great. He's, he's great, apparently, in Kim's Convenience. I haven't seen him in that, but everyone I know who watches that sitcom loves him and loves it. Um, and it's it's their uh, majority Asian-led cast. It has a lot of inspiration from. Asian-led um, genres like wuxia, but um, they their past attempts at sidestepping or or uh, att- or tackling representation have been kind of lukewarm to me. Uh, I think specifically of of Doctor Strange and their a sidestepping of the. Was it the great ones? Oh, the uh, the ancient yeah, one. The ancient one. The ancient one. Tilda Swinton's character by gender mm-hmm. bending the character to att- attempt to sidestep like that that uh, retrograde stereotype, but then mm-hmm. they uh, in in the process whitewashed it. So I I'm still a little bit I'm not sure how how they'll go about it, but uh, the trailer looks great. Um, I'm excited about Tony Leung, and um, I do think that the visuals the colors are a little washed out still in that typical Mm. marvel way but i'm anticipating how the entire thing will look in the end
0: yeah i'm very curious about the combination of fighting styles in this movie um because as you mentioned that that wusha stuff you can see those elements where like you know again for people who who might not be super familiar with that term it's, it's almost as if characters can like fly around while doing martial arts uh Yes. while participating in martial arts. It's very balletic. It's
1: physics defying.
0: But there's also moments where, you know, there, there's a, a moment on like a subway or a bus where, um, where Lou's character just like fights as if it's in, you know, a Jackie Chan movie or something like that. So it's not like every single um fight scene across the board is going to look the same in this movie. So I'm very curious to see what that blend is like and how that sort of lends itself to the movie's overall feel. If it starts to, if, if it's, if it ends up feeling a little disjointed and sort of chaotic because these fighting styles are, um, you know, so disparate and, and spread throughout the movie, or if like each fighting style is going to be sort of pinned to a different type of character and like their skill set or something like that, which is kind of interesting. I don't, I don't know if I've ever seen that done before, certainly not on a, you know, in a mainstream American movie like this. Um, so, or, or, a, a, I guess, yeah, like Hollywood movie rather. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm yeah, very curious to see what this is like and I think this movie comes out in September. So, um I'm sure we'll be talking about it much much more as we get a little bit closer. But yeah, you know, after uh skipping mentioning that earlier, um just wanted to to chime in with our our two cents about that real quick. So, uh let's get into some other news items here sticking with uh I guess sort of adjacent news to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Disney and Sony has uh ha- have reached a licensing deal. Um, this was announced last night. Uh, and it involves, basically, it will result in the Spider-Man movies that Sony has been co-producing with uh, Disney and Marvel, ending up on Disney+. Plus. Um, the uh, It took us so long to sort of parse the details of what this stuff means, because it's all like corporate speak. And um, recently, Sony stuck, uh, struck a deal with Netflix for its new releases. You and I actually talked about that on a recent episode of this podcast, where um, basically... Sony's new movies from next year will arrive on Netflix about 18 months after they premiere in theaters. Um, so we talked about that and then this deal is sort of like on top of that, after the Netflix window has closed, uh, Sony's new movies will now be sort of, um, handed over to Disney to, to disseminate as Disney will, uh, through, you know, across all of Disney's platforms. So we're talking, you know, uh, Disney+, Plus, Hulu, ABC, Freeform, FX, um, the Disney channels, and National Geographic. So uh, a lot of big Sony movies, including the Spider-Man, you know, Far From Home and Homecoming and the upcoming Spider-Man movie, uh, and stuff like Morbius and Venom, as well as uh, other Sony titles like Jumanji and Hotel Transylvania. Those are all sort of being uh, lumped into this big deal that is going to be lasting for five years, so basically after you know a, a year plus after these movies premiere in theaters, people will be able to watch them you know under the Disney umbrella. Um, these big Sony movies, so uh, you can read about you know all the specifics of this story in uh, in, in the actual article itself, which we'll link to obviously in the show notes. Um, okay. So I just wanted to mention that, uh, cause it was a sort of a big deal last night. Um, but let's get into, uh, a, a show that I never thought that we would actually see happen, which is a spinoff of how I met your mother. I should tell me about that.
1: Yeah. We're going to be getting the counterpart to How I Met Your Mother, How I Met Your Father, a new comedy series from Isaac Aptiker and Elizabeth Berger, who are behind This Is Us and Love, Victor. And it's coming to Hulu with Lizzie, not Lizzie McGuire, with Hilary Duff, (laughs) set to star, uh, fresh (laughs) off the doomed Lizzie McGuire series that uh, was initially set to have its revival on Disney Plus before getting axed for not being family-friendly enough. But... Maybe we'll get a chance at a Lizzie McGuire sequel after all if Hillary Duff gets her Lizzie McGuire cast members into How I Met Your Father, uh, which is a 10-episode comedy, uh, or at least this first season is, uh, about a woman named Sophie who is telling her son the story of how she met his father, a story that catapults us back to the year 2021, where Sophie and her close-knit group of friends are in the midst of figuring out who they are, what they want out of life, and how to fall in love in the age of dating apps and limitless options. Uh, Hilary Duff is also serving as producer on this series, which is a Hulu original and will be a multi and single camera approach similar to its predecessor. And original How I Met Your Mother creators, Carter Bays and Craig Thomas will also be executive producing alongside Apteker and Berger.
0: So uh, the big question, HT, is do we know if any of the How I Met Your Mother cast are going to be appearing in this?
1: There's no confirmation or details yet on the How I Met Your Mother cast popping up in this. Even though it says it's a sequel, um, there are there's no indication that Sophie is really at, in any way to the characters of How I Met Your Mother. Mm-hmm. Um, it just seems to be taking the premise of How I Met Your Mother and you can get a female protagonist instead of a male protagonist. And uh, this isn't the first time that the, the world at large, not the world at large, 20th TV television has uh, attempted to uh, spin off this How I Met Your Mother property in, with a female lead. The first time being How I Met Your Dad Greta Gerwig originally set to star and write for the series, and it even went to pilot before it got. Um, it didn't get picked up and kind of disappeared into the ethos, uh, ether. And Greta Gerwig went on to direct *Lady Bird* and *and uh, Little Woman and become an Oscar nominated, Oscar winning director.
0: Yeah, that's great stuff. I'm I'm so glad for her that she did not get stuck in sitcom land for many many years. Because uh, while I I appreciated *How I Met Your Mother*, um, it definitely uh, was one of those shows that went on for a long, long time. And um, just to be deprived of, uh, of Lady Bird and Little Women is, is sort of a heart-crushing uh, <laughs> like alternate reality. Yeah, and in I'm and I'm the sliding door we scenario,
1: we got the better end of the deal. <laughs>
0: um, did you watch How I Met Your Mother when it was on?
1: I did. I was really into it, actually. I watched every single episode. I um, was watching it live. And yes, I was very disappointed by the ending.
0: Uh, did you watch lizzie mcguire you mentioned that as you know the big hillary duff show
1: yeah i did actually watch it when i was on disney channel even though i didn't have disney channel i would watch it at like my cousin's house and sometimes i think it would air on abc on saturdays uh, mm-hmm. i never watched all of the episodes but i did like lizzie mcguire it very much was geared towards my demographic which was middle schoolers growing up in the early 2000s and mm-hmm. uh, it was really charming it was like fourth wall breaking um series where like her her uh, subconscious it takes the form of this animated character and she's just a very like an ordinary girl going through uh the ups and downs of puberty and Hilary Duff is very charming in it um I was actually quite excited for a sequel I think the revival had a lot of promise the idea of, of Lucy McGuire uh, in her late 20s early 30s navigating mm-hmm. New York sounded really exciting to me and I was interested to see like where the show would take the characters and lizzie uh hillary duff act had actually um uh tried to get hulu to pick up the series after disney plus like dropped it uh, mm-hmm. as they did with love victor but uh it was not meant to be but maybe at this point she can just get the lizzie mcguire people over to uh, yeah to have your father
0: I think that would be fun. So, so you know, uh, being, uh, or if not a full on fan, then at least enjoying both of these shows at, at various points in your life. What do you think about about Hillary Duff as the lead of How I Met Your Father? Is this something that you're actually like interested
1: in? Sure. I mean, How I Met Your Mother was really just a friend's redux, anyways. Mm-hmm. And it's a very universal premise a bunch of friends uh, navigating love and life. Um, and that kind of thing, uh, that kind of premise can be made or Made or Broken based on the talent of its stars and its writers. And uh, I think How My Mother had a great cast in it uh, and some, some, it was, and good writers, except they botched the ending. Uh, And Lizzie, why do I keep saying Lizzie McGuire? (laughs) Hilary Duff (laughs) is a talented actress. So if they build a good cast around her, then sure, I'd be interested in it.
0: Cool. All right. So uh, some news that broke today, Disney has found a director for its new Haunted Mansion movie. And that director is Justin Simeon, who uh, directed Dear White People, which is a 2014 indie movie that has since gone on to be uh, adapted into a Netflix series, which is very good and underrated. And I feel like not enough people talk about that show. It's a, it was a little bumpy at, at certain moments, but overall, I, I think it's show is really, really good. And I encourage everybody to, to check it out if you have not seen it. Um, Justin Simeon, you know, Dear White People is like the thing that he is uh, best known for. But um, last year he directed this movie called Bad Hair, which is a horror satire that debuted at Sundance 2020 and got picked up by Hulu. I guess it was sort of a big deal for, for, um, Hulu when it, it debuted on that service last year. Um, so he has done some horror stuff before. I'm not entirely sure what his take on uh, Disney's haunted mansion is going to be, um, or how far Disney will let him sort of push into that horror direction. Cause obviously it's going to be, it's a Disney movie. It's going to be a little bit more family friendly than, uh, you know, a full blown sort of horror kind of film. Um, but uh, Justin Simeon is already sort of in the Disney family, quote unquote, because he is the creator and showrunner of Lando, which is the upcoming Star Wars show centered on Lando Calrissian. So uh, I guess Disney had been wanting to work with him on a movie for quite some time now. He had met on multiple films and um, and pitched them an idea for this Haunted Mansion film, and they really liked his, his take. So uh, we have no idea what that is going to be. Um, Katie Dippold, who... She's a writer for Parks and Recreation. She wrote uh, The Heat and Ghostbusters Answer the Call. wrote the most recent uh, mo- wrote the most recent draft of this movie's script. Um, so that kind of leads me to believe that it's going to be a little bit more comedic because that's sort of what she has been known for thus far. But man, I tell you, like seeing the um, the one hundred and eighty that uh, Craig Mazin did from you know writing stuff like the Hangover sequels to chernobyl really has me like pumping my brakes on um (laughs) making uh sort of like ill-informed uh guesses about what writers are going to do based on what they've done (laughs) before um because that that turnaround was just so dramatic for him that i'm like oh man well just because katie Dippold has has done uh, comedic stuff in the past doesn't necessarily mean that this is going to be a comedy so uh what do you think about this ht what do you think about justin Simeon directing a haunted mansion movie
1: I have not seen the original Haunting Mansion movie, and I have not seen seen Dear White People, so I don't know if I can really comment on this, but I I know a lot of people really like Dear White People. It seemed really smart and funny and um, timely, so sure. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I, I forgot to mention you You uh, rightly said the uh, earlier Haunted Mansion movie that film came out in 2003 and it starred Eddie Murphy and this actually has nothing to do with that oh, so okay. it's, um, it's not going to be I think some outlets maybe Variety refer to it as a remake but I don't think it's going to be Uh, following the same template as that film because Deadline said that it's supposed to be a completely separate thing um, where it can sort of stand on its own two feet. So um, it's not going to be connected to that movie, which I I think that the the Haunted Mansion movie that came out in 2003 came out in the same year as the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie. And that film uh, showed exactly like the right way to adapt a theme park ride, which, uh, you know, was surprisingly great. And yeah. this movie, uh, this this Haunted Mansion movie from 2003 was the wrong way to do it. I so, think it was just,
1: I, from what I remember, and based on the trailers that I saw, is that it was a very goofy showcase for Eddie Murphy that kind of just fell flat yeah. for a lot of people.
0: Yeah, yeah, kind of a missed opportunity. But um, Guillermo del Toro has been like... Uh, you know attached to or or in conversation to direct or write a haunted mansion movie for a long long time or like 10 years ago i think at comic-con um they announced that he was going to be involved with a movie and and obviously that has stalled over the years and and not happened so this is not um the del toro movie i don't think he has you know his his dna in anything of this project. I think it's like, he wrote a couple drafts of a script that ended up not getting made. So this is a whole separate thing. But uh, all right, so let's talk about our last news story of the day, which is Netflix spending a lot of money on content in 2021. What do we know,
1: HT? Yeah, Netflix revealed in its first quarter earnings report that it plans to spend over $17 billion on content in 2021. Um, They have our Basically, making up for production delays from COVID nineteen in twenty twenty, and plan to spend even more on original titles, TV series, international titles, and um, it. This earnings report basically goes into the um, uh, the reach that its originals from twenty twenty um, met, such as their. Their shows like *Fate the Wink Saga*, which reached fifty-seven million households, *Ginny and Georgia* fifty-two million, etc. So their outreach is is still doing okay, but um, they are definitely planning to make up for lost time from last year, spending way more than they did in uh, twenty twenty, which in which they spent eleven point seven billion, and in twenty nineteen in which they spent thirteen point nine billion.
0: Yeah, so so from essentially fourteen to. There was a little bit of a dip, obviously, in 2020, naturally, uh, down to about twelve and then now bumping back up to 17. I mean, I remember when I want to say it was like eight billion was the number, like several years ago, and we were all like, and Oh we
1: my like, god, so like, much money. <laughs>
0: this is wild. And now it's 17 billion in one year, which is just oh my god. Just thinking about like how dramatically Netflix has changed the entire industry and become like the studio that produces more content than pretty much any other you know like all of this the major hollywood studios put together um it's just wild to think about like sometimes i just you know we get we we get uh you know we cover this stuff every day so it, it the the um specialness of it kind of wears off but and you and you're sort of like in the trenches just like you know, oh my God, Fate the Wink saga is coming up or whatever. <laughs> but like taking a step back every once in a while and just being like, man, this company that used to just like mail DVDs to people uh, is now like the, the dominant force in Hollywood. It's really, really wild to think
1: Speaking about. Speaking of, I found some old DVDs that- Did you uh, really? Netflix, yeah, at my parents' house. Like we used to be subscribed to the Netflix mailing thing way before they they um, uh, went to streaming. And so we were one of the, the first- adopters of Netflix and I, by the way they should have rewarded us for for being such long time customers because we just spent more money because we had to do the streaming and 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 yeah. and then we had just ended up <laughs> going to streaming because it was cheaper but yeah I found some old ones one of them was American Psycho and I was oh, like I wow. guess I can't return some videotapes <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, what a great, great joke. I love that. That's, oh, that's, a, that's a great place for us to end, I think, and a great place for us to bring in Jacob Hall, who is the managing editor of com going to be presenting an interview for us. So HT, uh, I'll say goodbye to you for now. So um, since we almost never do this anymore, where can people find more of your work on the internet if they want to check you out?
1: Well, you can find me writing every day at slash film.com. I'm on Twitter at htrambuy. And you can find me on my new podcast, Checking Through Time and Space, available on all podcasting platforms. And now with a newly launched Patreon at patreon.com slash checking through time and space.
2: Excellent. All right. Thanks, HT. Thanks. All right, Jacob, welcome. How are you? It's one of those days, but you should watch Sasquatch, Ben. It'll make your your bad day seemed like a great day. in the Paris. Okay. Yeah. So you've talked about this before
0: in, uh, I think in, in a water cooler episode, maybe, um, or, or maybe like right after you interviewed the director, but this interview is now up on slash I will link to it in the show notes. Um, but I, I wanted to, uh, to drop the audio in here and let people listen to your conversation with, uh, the director of this new show. So why don't you just like tee this up first, Jacob, tell us what we need to know about Sasquatch.
2: Yeah. Sasquatch is a really compelling, uh, Day ruining, but also incredibly entertaining, uh, true crime doc series. There are three episodes streaming on Hulu right now. And it's about a journalist who decides to investigate a story he heard 25 years earlier while working on an illegal marijuana farm uh, in Northern California, uh, where he overheard a discussion about how a Bigfoot apparently attacked a neighboring pot farm, killed three people, and got away. And he decides to investigate and see what actually happened was it bigfoot or was it something else and the resulting investigation is tracked entirely by a documentary crew and uh the director on uh, joshua Rofe, i spoke to him and oh boy does he have stories about how this was a dangerous and seemingly very uh sometimes exciting sometimes very boring shoot but the results speak for themselves i think yeah
0: i i um I've
2: read this interview and I I was just sort of
0: like my job is on the floor at like some of the the stories that that he alludes to here. So I guess without further ado, let's just let people listen to them themselves. Uh, Here is Joshua Ruff talking about Sasquatch. Uh,
3: um, No worries. I'm hitting recording. This is the the day of uh, of computer uh, troubles over here. So uh, (laughs) right in line.
2: Yeah. Well, I watched all three episodes. I think this this is fantastic. I couldn't get enough of it. Uh, so I I, I gotta ask, so at what point did you enter this story? I mean, were you here from the beginning, or did you get a phone call saying, "Hey, I have something going on"? Did you hear? Where Where did you come into this?
3: Yeah, so it, this was this was sort of my harebrained idea uh, to pursue, uh, sort of concoction and to pursue. Um, basically, in, in February 2018, I had dinner with a friend, uh, Zach Greger who's one of the exec producers on this, and he suggested that I listen to a podcast called Sasquatch Chronicles. And so I, I listened to about 11 episodes in four days. And what I was immediately struck by and and also obsessed with was the fact that I was sensing visceral fear from everybody who was calling in, telling their Sasquatch encounter or sighting stories. And my brain started to do that thing where... Um, I knew that this was going to be my next project. I didn't know what it was going to look like. I just, I knew it was going to be Sasquatch uh, centric. And so I just sort of wondered, God, if I could find a murder mystery that is somehow wrapped up or intertwined with a Sasquatch story, that would be, that would, that could be really compelling. And so I reached out to David Holthouse, who is the main subject uh, in this, in this series and and one of the, uh, one of the producers on it. and. David's a colleague of mine for, uh, you know, a number number of years already at this point. And he's been an investigative journalist for over 25 years and a a gonzo journalist at that. So he's one of those people who's really seen and done a lot of a lot of wild things. And I I sent him a text that said, hey, this is the craziest text I'm going to send you for the next five years. If it exists, I would like to find a murder mystery that's wrapped up in a Sasquatch story and, and pursue that as the next project. And he wrote me right back, and he said, "I love it. I got one. I'll call you in five. And then he proceeded to tell me this story that he heard in person in 1993 uh, about a Sasquatch murdering three people on a, on a weed farm uh, in Northern California. And as soon as he told me that, I um, I, I said, "Okay, we're we're onto something, and let, let's let's see what happens." Yeah, and were you aware at that point that David would be
2: your protagonist? Because the series really does play with him being the lead character. And thank God for you—he's—he's he's a really compelling, camera-ready guy.
3: Yeah, I, I, again, having known David for a few years, uh, he is just somebody who—who uh, who I, it, it was just obvious to me that he—he he was extremely compelling. Um, I don't know if you've ever uh, listened to his "This American Life" episode, but I—I I would highly recommend that. Um, he's an incredible storyteller and he's a person who just, uh, I think really due to his life experiences, uh, he just has a ton of gravitas and, you know, he's charismatic in that sort of quiet, almost Gene Hackman-like way. Um, and uh, I, yeah, I, I, I knew right away that I, I wanted to follow him uh, hunting the, the, the origin of this, of this, of this story. So it sounds like when you contacted them that the mystery hadn't been
2: solved yet because without spoiling anything, the documentary really follows the investigation actually unfurling. It's not like a, it's not presented as as a thing that has a solution at the start. You you see things being solved. So was that the actual process of filming? You actually really filming alongside the investigation as opposed to editing it that way?
3: Yeah, very much so. I mean, there were um, there 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 were so many times where you know you just hit roadblocks and you wonder if you're even going to get anywhere um i mean we had we had months and months of roadblocks where you know an investigation is it's not always compelling um it's full of so many lulls and it's full of so many uh moments where you've come up completely empty empty empty-handed and you know a hunch that you had about something um you go and you chase it for three weeks and and you realize you were just dead wrong and so this this series was truly following David on that path as it, as it was happening.
2: And I feel like you uh, use that to your strengths. I mean, the, some of the roadblocks are become really compelling s- side notes in this story. And even a lot of the uh, diversions you take. I mean, the, the Bigfoot experts, for example, you, you interview, are just these really fascinating diversions. It really creates the idea of getting lost in the mystery as opposed to, you know, presenting something solid and
3: tidy. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think if... If anybody, anybody who's attempts to, to to solve a mystery or to get to the bottom of something that other people maybe don't want you to get to the bottom of, they they know that you you as the investigator, you as the filmmaker, you are never in control. Um, you, and so, you know, that may sound uh, you know like a like a negative or, or some sort of a drawback, but it, it's actually a strength um, because if you give yourself over to that process, you're going to meet fascinating people along the way you're going to go down certain you know rabbit holes and alleys that even though they won't spit you out or maybe you want to uh, to be spit out you it, it, it's going to be wild and it's going to add a lot of sort of color and texture to, to that to the path um and so it was that was I I will say though Jacob that was something that we had to sort of get used to um you know I know David is more used to that as an, as an investigator but even as as a filmmaker, um, just knowing I'm going to go on a shoot this week and I might come back with nothing. Um, and, and, and that's actually, that's actually okay. And if we, if we do it enough times, um, little by little, you know, these, these breadcrumbs will start to add up. And what ended up happening is we went from shoots where maybe we learned a thing or two. And I'm, I'm, laying up at night, having an existential crisis, knowing that I'm a failure uh, attempting to make this and I'll never be allowed to make anything again Um, to then, you know, five of those trips, you know, okay, you got three things each time. Well, now we're on trip number seven and every single thing we're getting is just a stick of dynamite. Um, And only by going through the prior process could we get to that point
2: yeah there are moments in this series I feel like David's in legitimate danger where he's wearing Prisby hidden cameras where he's meeting people in clandestine uh, locations. uh did David barf you from that, or did you ever feel like you were also in danger?
3: Um, I think we never felt safe when we were up there, and there was this sort of overwhelming feeling of I don't want to overstay my welcome um and yeah, David uh. Is the one who truly faced the most danger because there were times where and some of this is in the series you'll, you'll hear him recounted in a voice memo um or in a sort of pickup interview at you know after something happened but there were times where he was going to he was going to go meet a potential source they changed the location on him multiple times and now he's gone from meeting somebody in a public place at 3 p.m to he's going to meet somebody uh at a bar or a restaurant, uh, at around, you know, 10, 30, 11. Um, and it's in a, you know, a totally different town. And Oh, by the way, that bar or restaurant, it's actually closed and it's going to be us and eight other people who you didn't know were going to be there. Um, and so he, he was definitely in some potentially hairy situations, uh, you know, many, many, many times, including just being up in the, uh, the, the hidden camera footage you're referencing, being up there in in those mountains, in those woods, um, if, you know, if something had happened to him, there's no way we would have ever known. Were there, like, tips you learned from David, uh, no,
2: like, knowing that you felt this way? Uh, I mean, as, and now as a filmmaker, what are you armed with now? Like, what knowledge do you have to go into a similarly dangerous situation that you learned from making this? <laughs>
3: <laughs> you're, you're lucky if you can get out once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i think you, you just have to uh and it's something that david mentions in, in the show just you know real time constant on the fly risk analysis it is just that that sort of checking in with each other um on, on a regular basis is is something that um that was just a, really a big part of the process um and i you know, i think i think moving forward that that is definitely something that we we will continue to uh you know, to sort of lean on, you know, given if a project calls for it.
2: Yeah. And when you set up to make a murder doc about, about Sasquatch, did you realize you would have to do a crash course in Northern California pot farms? Because I had no no knowledge of the history of this area, no knowledge of that culture. And I it was utterly was transfixed, learning this incredibly niche, but also incredibly dark pocket of American culture. Like, at what point did you realize, oh, this is a documentary that's also about this, as opposed to just being
3: about Bigfoot? Yeah, no, that that's awesome to hear. Um, it, you know, it, once David started talking to people, um, particularly in, in in the world of uh, you know of cannabis uh, growing, it became clear that that all of that was was going to be a big piece. But going in, I really, I you know, I I thought of this initially as a somewhat quirkier murder mystery. Um, Something that that would not have uh, you know probably you know the danger and, and, and even the pathos that that you know we think it ended up having uh, it so much of this was a discovery in the process um, of making it uh, which you know that it was uh, at times it was brutal um, and terrifying and and at the same time all was just so invigorating and. Really, uh, just an, an adrenalized experience, particularly when we were shooting
2: it. Yeah, and it's it's structured, it, it's pace uh, like a like a, a 70s you know conspiracy thriller. It really, I mean, I've seen enough true crime doc series. I mean, there's a reason why they're popular, and because a lot of them do follow a very f- familiar beat 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 format. Whereas this has the pacing and feel of, of, of fiction. While it's not, uh, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about finding you know the finding the, the story the narrative in this real footage and crafting it, so it feels like it could have been fiction even though it's clearly not
3: yeah it's you know it's funny i'm i'm gonna mention mccabe and mrs miller even though this doesn't feel like mccabe and mrs miller <laughs> but that is something that is a film that my my dp and i spoke about in terms of people sort of really just in the elements <laughs> um and you know the and just the way um the way the camera was used, the way, the way a zoom lens can be used, you know, not going overboard, but, you know, utilizing that sort of 70 zoom at the right moment in the woods. Um, and then also thinking about the parallax view. Um, and then, and then also thinking about, um, about Fincher's Zodiac, which is, is one of my favorites of all time. Um, and Bong Joon-ho's, uh, memories of a murder. Um, was was another one that was definitely uh, in, in my mind as, as we were shooting and, and even editing. And I, I I am I'm a 70s movie freak, um, and like so many of us are. And I always felt this this one uh, particularly, I felt it even had more in common with you know a combination of 70s paranoid thriller, and graphic novel. Uh, you know, sort of mashup than than, than a documentary, and I, I didn't want it to feel like I was less interested in it feeling like a like a doc. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted it to um, I wanted it to feel just sort of a little funkier than that, which is which is what this sto- the story really sort of tells you what it's going to be. You know? Yeah. Is
2: the a graphic novel idea? The reason why you want animation instead of reenactments for those scenes?
3: Yeah. So we were just, we were discussing early on, all right, how are we going to, how are we going to visually express this? And Mark Duplass said, what about animation? And my reaction initially was, I'm not crazy about animation in docs. Actually, it just, it just, it just hasn't been something that that to that point had really spoken to me. Um, and then they put us in contact with uh, an animator that, that had worked with them before with Duplass brothers. And he's up in the Pacific Northwest. His name is Drew Christie. And so I, I spoke to Drew and I just said, hey, I'm going to send you two minutes of David telling this story about what happened that night in the fall of 93. And I don't even want to, I don't want to give you direction. I just want you to do your thing and let's see what happens. And about a week and a half, two weeks later, he sends me back 90 seconds of animation that I don't even know if a frame changed from that test to the final show. Um, He, he captured and created, um, you know, uh, a world uh, so, so beautifully. And I felt like it, uh, you know, I, I'm sure I probably mentioned to him graphic novel feel, um, but that's but that's it. And so when I w- once I saw his test, that was uh, that we were sort of off and running, in, you know, in, in that sense.
2: And another thing I really appreciate here, and this is uh, I'll try to dance around any you know late game spoilers. For people who haven't watched seen the series yet, is that this ends up being a series that's about how we make monsters, either you know legendary myths, but also the ones in our day to day lives. Can you talk about going through your footage, going through this investigation and realizing, oh, there's actually a really strong thematic point here and building the movie to to come to that, or building the series to come to that?
3: Yeah, it's... uh, The the deeper we got, the more we realized that uh, there were many monsters in this story, and what they were were all consistently doing was wielding fear. Um, And, you know, folklore if you really start to dig into it, it's always intertwined with fear, um, you know? And again, I'm gonna try and do that similar dance that that, that you're doing here, so I wanna be careful, but um, people are terrifying. Um, sure, the boogeyman is terrifying, but really it's, you know, your neighbor is terrifying, potentially, you know? Um, that person that you that you may run into in the woods is terrifying um and monsters uh monsters are real and sometimes they look like us um and sometimes they look like bigfoot and i think our show really straddles the line of uh of sort of which, which one of those are uh in control at at, at, at certain moments all right. Well, not to
2: do too hard of a, a pivot from, you know, a thematic question to, like, a technical question, uh, yeah. but this is just this is just a I you're I my first true crime doc interview, so I, I got to know, uh, how do you responsibly recreate phone calls? I mean, like, and you, you make that note that each one's saying, hey, somebody's been recreated for – for 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 you know whatever reasons, uh, but what's the process of of like either re-recording those or modifying them? I need like what what what's the step-by-step journalistic integrity slash you know filmmaking, uh, integrity aspect of making sure those phone calls work well and do do justice to the story.
3: Sure, I mean you know they're all real calls, um, and there there was, uh, there were you know specific modifications that were made. I. Won't take it further because we did that to protect the safety of uh, certain individuals. Um, and so it really was all in the name of uh, trying to make sure that, that that certain folks didn't get hurt. Gotcha. Yeah. All right.
2: Uh, I guess my, my last question was to start wrapping this up. We'll, 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 we'll on a slightly uh, lighter note. Um, yeah after all all of this and after discovering some very human monsters of course making this where do you fall on bigfoot <laughs> real yeah or nay at this point after all this time
3: yeah it's, no it's it, 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 it's a very fair question i going in i was 100% no and then i spent time up in those woods um and david really captured it i i, I thought really really eloquently um and it's it's in the first episode um and he says something to the effect of, there is a, an element of the supernatural that seems to run at a, a higher vibration up, up there when you're in those woods where, God, those, those trees, they're so big. And you if you're deep enough in that forest, you think, oh yeah, a brontosaurus could walk by at any moment. Um, and by the same token, you start to understand you know, how and why people could, uh, could maybe believe that uh, there is that there is a, there is a, a Sasquatch running around. Um, your your senses take on, uh, you know, sort of a like a I, what I would almost describe as a parallel version to to you know that that is then heightened. Um, and you, I found myself questioning sounds and, and and smells more than I than I probably would in my in my everyday life. So. Um, I got to see it to, to to be able to know something is real for me, but um, when you're in those woods, all of a sudden, it seems like anything is possible. All
2: right. That's a good place to end this. Uh, thank you so much, Joshua. I'm really excited to talk to you. I, it's, a, it's a great project, and I'm looking forward to talking about it a little bit more as, as
3: it comes out. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. All thank right. you, Jacob. You have a good day. All right. Take care.
0: Alright, so Jacob, before we wrap up, do you have any other, any final thoughts about Sasquatch? I'm, I'm sure people are probably intrigued now to watch this show, and as you mentioned, all three episodes are on Hulu right now. Any any final thoughts for you, maybe, after you've seen this whole series? What, what do you think about it?
2: Uh, I wish more true crime series were shot like this, where it's, where the crew is an active participant in the investigation, where it's not just, hey, we're recapping a murder from 30 years ago, it's, mm-hmm. we're on the ground with the investigator and actually getting into the nitty-gritty of what it's like to actually investigate what it feels like when you run down an alley that goes nowhere or you reach a dead end or when you find lots of evidence but don't, how, don't know how it adds up I think Saskwatch really allows you to get lost in how frustrating confusing and terrifying uh, solving a mystery can be and I really hope people check it out I think you can watch it all in one evening I think it's really hard to stop watching once you start.
0: Jacob, I just realized, listening to you talk just now, uh, it reminded me of uh, Wind of Change, which is a podcast that you and I both listened to and you just mentioned on, I think it was yesterday's uh, water cooler episode of this show. Um, Wind of Change reminds me a little bit of Sasquatch in that it is that sort of like investigative story. It's about a a journalist who like heard whispers of something happening long ago and like uh, devoting an entire show to... You know, peeling back the layers and trying to get to the truth behind this thing um have you had you made that connection before is that, is that
2: just like a particular type of storytelling that you find yourself drawn to i did not make the connection now but apparently i like one thing one thing only Ben, which is <laughs> true crime <laughs> investigation stories where you're in there with the investigator but but seriously um i think that if you've seen a lot of true crime on netflix on other services or stations or <laughs> networks wherever we're calling them these days mm-hmm. uh I think you would be pleasantly surprised by how cinematic Sasquatch is, and how in the interview when we discussed you know his filmmaking inspirations in '70s paranoia thrillers, uh, it's not just lip service. This, this Sasquatch, I think, really feels like how I how I hope more true crime shows treat themselves. They feel like actual cinema as opposed to you know, uh, Talking Heads explaining about a sad murder.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah well i've definitely added it to my queue and hopefully uh, some of our listeners have as well so uh, that is sasquatch is available on hulu right now and you can find more about all these stories that we mentioned on today's show at slashfilm.com and linked inside the show notes of this episode SlashFilm daily is published every weekday bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and tv as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site you can subscribe to the show on apple google overcast spotify all the popular podcast apps And send us your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns at peter at slashfum.com. Also, if you have mailbag topics that you'd like us to discuss, you can send those uh, to peter at slashfum.com as well. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you all for listening, and we will be back tomorrow to discuss the season finale of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier.